Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. Michelle, we were talking about in our last episode a little bit about, you know, this teaser about a toxic work environment. It's so interesting because we have a lot going on in the world right now. I don't know if anyone else on this call uh, or you're on this podcast is is tuning in and really like understanding what's transpiring in this great resignation and what's going on around the country, and at least from what I'm observing here on the West Coast. But there are so many signs at different restaurants, at my car wash place about how there is not enough staff. Like there's literally signs saying staff shortage, please be kind to the staff that's here and left. And so many people are overwhelmingly having to do a multitude of roles and responsibilities that they're taking on as a result. And so, you know, we've talked about this a number of times. Michelle, the great resignation, toxic work environments. What is going on? Like, why are people leaving companies? And I already know the answer. It's rhetorical, but like would love to get your insights. Like, why can't we have people like serving us food at this restaurant? What's going on? You know, it's insane. Actually, two things before we really dig into this subject. The first one is I would tell you that if if your um, HR team, your recruiting team is telling you as... Um, actually, I want to do three things. If they're telling you in pushback against the inability to fill positions, that people just aren't working, they're getting unemployment, blah, blah, blah. Whatever that answer is, if it's all like the the pandemic, blah, I need you to pause and and ask them to start digging deeper because what we are seeing over and over again is there is so much more to it than just some pandemic relief funds that the government might have put in place in multiple countries around the world, including here in the United States. It might not even be toxic leader necessarily. Um, When you talk about the essential workforce, and this is going to lead me to my second point, but when you talk about the essential workforce, it could be toxic customers um, that are part of your problem. And that leads me to those signs you're seeing, Maria, that are like, your server decided to show up today, be nice to them. Look, guys. I'm about to drop some F-bombs right now. Could you just please be effing nice? I know the bulk of us are. I know a ton of people who are in essential functions that are customer-facing, whether that is salespeople, whether that is retail environments, restaurant environments, whatever that is. It's essential workers. They've been going to work from the beginning of this pandemic and they've been dealing with your frustration as a customer. I have literally had friends coughed on because someone simply said, we have a mask at the front door um, for you to wear. And they're like, really? I'm not going to wear a mask. (laughs) Right? So these folks decided to come to work every day because you needed some effing toilet paper. So why don't you be nice to them, okay? And if you see someone else being mean to them, why don't you defend them? Stop being passive 
and expecting somebody else to take it on. So that's my second one. I'm sorry, I'm off that soapbox. (laughs) And then the last thing that you mentioned, Maria, was what do we do, right? I think there's a lot of things that we do. And I, but I think going back to your first point, my first point, which was we've got to take a hard look at ourselves as organizations. You need to ask yourself why other people or being unemployed is more appealing than coming to the place that you work. Maria, it'll probably take her like two seconds to figure out who said this. It's the CEO of Whole Foods. He had a quote that said, if you are, and I'm going to mess it up, but it's going to be the gist of it. If you are lucky enough to be someone's employer, it is your responsibility to make sure they want to come to work. And so when people are dropping like flies, when people are leaving you left and right, you need to ask yourself some questions because it's not because people suddenly aren't spending money on the excessive things they were before. It's because they decided a different lifestyle was better than dealing with your organization. John Mackey, Whole Foods CEO. I knew she knew. I knew knew she knew. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's great. You know, it's good when you go into quotes and you put those into, you know, prime example. I think if someone, and this is what people are dealing with, if someone would rather be unemployed then be employed and have a have a check to support themselves like you're doing something wrong <laughs> like something is happening in the organization where someone would choose nothing over something and so there are a number of reasons people are leaving organizations but really what we dropped i mean obviously it's no secret so we dropped a little hint at the last episode that we are going to talk about toxicity in your work environment And so we're going to have a mini series going on this month where literally you have bits and pieces of digestible information that you can obtain from us in the new year at some point. And it's going to transition into some great conversations over, you know, the next several podcasts where, you know, we have discussions on what that looks like in the workforce. However, Michelle, you know, I think what's going to be really important in this episode is to drop where this premise came from. So, you know, you are going to spend some time talking about your experience with our listeners on a toxic and work environment. You know, you talked a little bit about essential functions and there are some customer facing ones and there's not customer facing ones. And in the human resource realm, we have internal customers and every time someone leaves us that's our customer and we have to obtain information and sometimes it goes well for the most part and sometimes it doesn't but we have a business to support of employees or team members and to make sure that they are happy successful and getting the right tools and resources they need um, to conduct their day-to-day so michelle like Tell us a little bit about your past experiences and you can kind of lead us down a little bit of a trail, but what has really led to us developing some tools and resources? I mean, you heard Joe pretty much say, no, I've never worked for anybody in a toxic work environment. (laughs) Haha, just kidding. Like it happens. It happens to sometimes the best of us. Right. You know what? I think in this, in the world in general, I think it would be unrealistic for anyone to believe that they're not going to work for 
a toxic leader at some point during their career. Now, there are different levels of toxicity from annoying to mentally destructive, right? So it could be a broad spectrum, but it's where the whole concept of a bad boss came from. In every leadership class you've ever taken, they probably had you do an activity where you had to list the characteristics of a bad boss and the characteristics of your favorite boss. Um, And the reason for that was so that you could start to see what it is that frustrates employees and what doesn't. This is um, an interesting topic. And Maria, there are a couple topics that you and I go back to over and over again. This is one of them. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is another. And we have a number of listeners who, some of who started as friends and became weekly listeners. Some became weekly listeners and they've become advocates and we've developed relationships with them where they give us feedback, right? And a lot of times I've had people say, are we really going to talk about this subject again? Yeah, we are. And you know why? We're going to talk about those subjects because people keep putting their heads in the sand and pretending it doesn't exist. And you know what, when it comes to toxicity, well, let's get back from D- DNI, 2020 in general sort of made it hard to keep your head in the sand. Now, things are changing in the world a little bit. And I think some of the people that wanted to stay in denial are now, we're moving into a place of calm where they stick their head back in the sand. And that's why we're not going to let up on that topic. But the great resignation is one of those reasons we can't stop talking about toxicity in the workforce because as an organization, you nailed it, Maria. It is a shame that you have created an environment where people would rather be broke and their bills didn't go away. They still had to buy food. They still had to pay their car payments. They still had to pay rent or mortgage. In some states, maybe that has extended a little bit longer, but it didn't go away. If you guys think for one second, Wells Fargo is like, you know what? No monthly payments for the whole year of 2020, and you'll never owe me a dime. No, they're going to get their money. They just didn't get it during that mandated period of time. Same with like utilities, like power bills in states where the power companies were not allowed to disconnect your power due to all of the furloughs, right? It's not like they said, wipe your power bill. Here's what's going to happen. The law's going to go away. And some of us are going to have $3,000 power bills that we got to figure out how to pay or get our power cut off, one or the other. So these people have literally said, I would rather be broke and live on ramen noodles than come to work for you. And the truth is, I've been in that situation and that's um, where the book comes from. Now I can look at my entire career and based on my age, I'm telling you guys, four full-time jobs or four jobs throughout my professional career is not a lot based on my age, but it was enough. And within those four places, there was enough change within my leadership or my department that over the course of my career, I've probably worked for about two dozen different leaders. 
And some of them absolutely frustrated the heck out of me. And Maria, because we've been friends forever, you know, as well as I do, in that moment, I thought it was the worst thing on the planet. And then I might get a new leader who was amazing. And it reiterated it was the worst leader on the planet, right? But then in my case, I got worse leaders. And it started to help me recognize the difference in frustration level in the workforce and the difference in accountability that I have. Because I went from being super frustrated by a micromanaging boss, particularly because it was a job that I was so skilled at, micromanaging became even more frustrating. If it had been a new job or a new skill, I would get my leader being a little more controlling. But this was like one of those things that was boring and I could do in my sleep, right? I didn't need someone asking me every five seconds what I had done to finish the project. But then as I continued to move through my career, I started to understand concepts that it never occurred to me I would experience in the workforce. Maria, you and I talked a lot about the word gaslighting and why it was called gaslighting or love bombing. And why would you use the phrase love bombing at work? Maria and I also came from the type of industries and the type of corporations where we've been told throughout our entire career that emotions don't belong in the workplace. And yet now all of a sudden, I was put in this situation with things like gaslighting and love bombing and manipulation and teeters. That's what I call the people around me that I can't trust. All the teeters in the world where I'm constantly... Literally, I I used to play a game where I would feed someone something that seemed like it could be used for ammunition, but I didn't really care if my boss found out about it. And if that came back to me, I wouldn't be in too much trouble. And that would tell me who around me could be trusted and who could not. Like my entire life became this game of trying to avoid pain, you know, the pain pleasure principle we all experience where most of us in life do things that we think help us avoid pain, even if it might have long-term benefits, like exercise is a great example. I avoid exercise at all costs because I hate it and nobody wants to breathe that hard for exercise. Okay, other reasons maybe, but not exercise. So I avoided it at all costs because I don't want that pain. Most of us live in that place. And I spent the entire time trying to juggle my actions so that I could avoid the pain that would happen as a result of gaslighting. So tell us a little bit about the components that really, I mean, obviously there's some aspects that were involved there, but each person who is in a toxic environment, they go through some pieces of gaslighting and then they don't know how to handle that in particular. Maybe they don't even know it's happening at the moment. And that's the thing, right, is that they don't realize that they're being manipulated until it's so far down. And at that point, how do you even 
recover from that because you don't realize it's happening to you, right? Then you've allowed someone to treat you this way. And now it's a form of acceptable behavior. So as we're training kids, you know, people in relationships, um, employees within companies, you realize that you've just allowed someone to treat you a certain way for a while. It's now this form of acceptability How do you then backpedal or at that point, are you just like, it's too late? I've already pretty much blessed them and said, here you go. You're good to continue this way. I might as well just go because how do I pivot this and redirect this to a more healthier conversation? So I was recently reading um, a sci-fi book and a character in the book could sense other people's feelings. She didn't feel them the same way. They felt the emotions but she sort of got visions of what emotions they were experiencing. And someone in the book asked her about another character and said, tell me about what they're going through right now. And she said, emotions don't work that way. They layer on top of each other. So typically, if you feel fear and you actually take the time to dissect it, it's probably not just fear that you're feeling. There's probably a little bit of fear laced with a little bit of anger, laced with a little bit of trepidation, laced with... So they all sort of come together to create the responses that you end up with. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I think that's important for you to recognize if you are in an extremely toxic work environment is for you to recognize your feelings are dimensional and they are layered in multiple ways and that all of those feelings are okay for you to be experiencing. It took me a while throughout this process to give myself that permission to feel the feelings that I was really having. But the reason that it's important is because of things like gaslighting. Most people, if you if you haven't been around a personal relationship or someone in your personal life that has been a part of a uh, narcissistic or sociopathic relationship, and I know I'm throwing around some big words here, but those are typically the people that use those manipulation tactics, right? you've probably have no idea what gaslighting is. And gaslighting is, here's the way I've described it to people. Imagine that the abuser is like a computer with a limitless hard drive. And if you are their victim, they are constantly collecting information about you, whether it is how you walk, how you talk, how you move, how you behave around people, what other people say about you. They'll go out of their way to ask other people about you. They are just collecting every single thing that they can. And when they can collect it directly from you, it's even better. Because what's going to happen one day, they're going to pull on those little pieces of information whether it is in a calm discussion or a heated argument, what you're going to start to see, like I mentioned earlier when I said I would test people to see who I could trust, those are the places that those pieces of information come back to me. 
and they start layering the pieces that feel true with the story that they're creating about you. For example, I'll give you a really specific example. It's a personal experience, and this is hard to talk about, but I'm going to do it. I have often joked and used the phrase lazy to describe myself. I do not think I'm lazy. Here's what I actually mean when I say that. I am super efficient, and I'm going to work as little as possible. I'm a great employee to have if you're trying to improve efficiency, because I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you every single step you're taking that is irrelevant to a perfect finished solution, right? And then I'm going to start skipping steps 12 through 15 because they were dumb and we're going to get stuff done faster, right? But sometimes I use words without thinking through the society's accepted definition of them. And so in a conversation, I was told that I was overwhelmed because I took on too much. And I said, you clearly don't understand me. I am absolutely lazy. I delegate everything I can and I simplify everything I can. But when it comes to ammunition that that person can use later, what makes more sense to store away Michelle said she's lazy or to store away Michelle likes to delegate and simplify things because delegate and simplify is not going to help them when they later try to make me feel bad. And so the word comes back to me woven with other things that aren't actually true. However, this is that layers of emotion piece of it. When it comes back to you and it sounds like well, of course you missed the deadline. You never get anything done on time. In fact, I don't even think you finished a single project since you started working here. You did call yourself lazy after all. So now what the human mind does is start, you start processing the fact that yes, you did in fact say you were lazy. That wasn't what I meant, but I did say it. Maybe I am lazy. Like, am I? Because I did miss the deadline. Like that's a true statement too but haven't I done something since I was here? What do I have to show for it? And so what the average person does when that happens over and over again, day after day after day, is they start believing that story that they're told. And to your point, Maria, as it continues, you've created an alternate reality in your mind that sometimes is embarrassing. So now you stop telling people about it. Because why would you want to admit that you let someone treat you that way? Like how embarrassing is, like we're not even talking about somebody you love. This is somebody at a job that you work with and you let them treat you that way. And so now you start hiding things. Now you stop asking other people for advice or to help you work through what you're struggling with because you start to carry it as shame when it wasn't yours to carry to begin with. But now they've done exactly what they need to, which is they put you in a place where you feel inadequate and you start to question if there are actual other alternatives for you. Yeah, so I don't want to go into solutions to that because I want us to save, you know, obviously some conversation for some of our um, upcoming episodes on this series. 
So you are at a place, Michelle, now. So we're kind of walking through your story or your journey, right? You're at a place as an employee where you are not sharing in your personal connections area what's transpiring. You are now in a place where you somewhat start to believe what's been manipulated or stated about you at work, or you start feeling an area of emotion of, you know, sadness, depression, anxiety, you know, just these areas where this is kind of where you're at, isolated, alone, because you don't know who to trust that you can talk to in your peer group at work. And then what happens or what happened? This is the actual moment when I decided, and I I probably approached you shortly after, that we had to do something to help other people. So as most of us, particularly my generation or younger, what we do when we're in a place where we don't know what to do is we Google it. And just so you know, when you type in how to work with a toxic boss, there's about 90,000 searches. And so like the people do, I start looking at YouTube advice. I start reading articles. I start finding books that I can download. I've got Kindle books about it, all sorts of stuff about how to work with a toxic leader. And when I started to read the very first book, and I have this clip framed and hanging in my office as a reminder of why we're doing this. It actually said, if you want to work successfully with a narcissistic leader, you should give them all the credit, fly out under the radar, praise them at every cost, make them look good in front of others, and basically bow to their every whim. And I remember thinking when I read that statement, I remember initially getting frustrated because I know people in my personal life who have been in abusive, verbally abusive relationships, um, personal relationships or intimate relationships. And therapists would never give you that freaking advice. They would never be like, oh, I know you married a sociopath. Why don't you just suck it up and deal with it? They're like, get out. They are going to destroy you. But somehow the right advice at work is suck it up, buttercup. And then I started to feel a little bit of guilt because Maria, you probably remember this. One of our first episodes series was about toxicity. And I was very adamant when I said, if you're in a toxic environment, you have two choices, suck it up or leave. And I remember you arguing with me during that podcast that that couldn't be the right solution. But I wasn't in a toxic environment, at least not that toxic. And so in my mind, super simplified, that was the answer. And now after reading that statement, being in that situation on my own, everything came together and I was annoyed. I was annoyed at people like me who simplify advice and place the blame on the victim by saying, if you don't like it, get out. I was annoyed at people, professionals who are certified to give mentally supportive advice are saying things like suck it up and praise them and they'll be nice to you. And so that was the moment that I said, when I get out of this, 
I will absolutely write a book that is honest and straightforward and talks about how I feel, what I owned in the process, what I didn't own in the process, how to avoid it or how to get out of it for real. I'm not just going to tell you, suck it up or leave. It's going to be real advice that you can work with. Yeah, I love that because I, you know, I think it's critical for people to see how that can impact them in different ways and to actually do something about it. When I was giving advice to other people previously in their situations, now everyone has a different level of toxicity. Let's just be honest here. Some people have like the master manipulator or gaslighter, whatever you want to call them. And then some people have, you know, people who they work with or their or their leaders who are just, you know, have levels of toxicity that, you know, are just, you know, like, oh, I can live with it or uh, it's frustrating. But there are some components to really help change that because you can't you can leave things the way they are. um, But the company at the end of the day has to be able to know what they're working with and then determine if they're going to take the stance or not. What's interesting is I was going for a walk with a friend of mine and she had a really bad customer service experience at Ulta from like a beauty perspective. And she goes in there and the manager of that location treated her like really like at another level, right? Like it was just a very degrading situation, very uncomfortable, started like talking to other employees about, you know, her as a customer. It was very interesting dynamic, Um, very inappropriate, especially if you're a leader at at a company. She then escalated up to the leadership team. They knew exactly the name of the leader who she was talking about. And when you go onto Google, there are a ton of reviews on this, the customer service experience that everybody has received with this leader. This location has horrible reviews. And at the end of the day, the HR department and the company, you know, obviously going in there now, like they still have this leader working for them. They understand the dynamics and this person still works for them. So sometimes you can speak out and you can conduct a number of different initiatives as a customer, right? But what type of impact, what the business decides to do with that information is completely up to them. And I'm sorry if you have like over 100 comments and reviews as a manager that you're not, you know, being very customer centric, that should make you as a business want to make some adjustments. But, you know, who am I to say anything? But sometimes there's strength in numbers and sometimes they're not. But it's also the way that you approach something. You know, I don't anticipate anybody being successful going in with, you know, kind of fire stick and, you know, kind of just going through, right, and trying to demolish anything. But there's a professional way of going about trying to address some of those pieces. And sometimes you can make an impact and sometimes you can't, you know. So I think to your point, I know we're going to talk a little bit about this. But I think it's important for listeners to hear when you're mentioning to them, like, it's so easy to say either shit or get off the pot kind of a thing, like stick with it or quit, you know, instead of putting it back to the individual that's really conducting the harm. So Michelle, so at that point, you know, obviously where you're at, you've decided to 
move on and move forward. But how challenging was that for you of a decision to make? It was ridiculous. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's not an easy decision for people to make. People are weighing it out right now. I think we started at the like at the beginning of this podcast when we were talking about people would rather not work, right? Um, and thankfully, you know, we have our business, so we have clients that we're able to support. But some people were, you know, are not able to work at all and really have, but they'd rather leave. They would rather leave. So right. So. I do want to go back and reiterate, and this is something that we are including in the book because it is that important. There are levels of toxicity and there are absolutely some moments that I'm going to say, you need to suck it up and try to work with people who have a different personality. And in hindsight, in hindsight, some of the leaders that were not my favorite leaders there would have been effective ways for me to work with them if I had changed a few activities. In fact, I was talking to a very good friend of mine who was helping support and review the book as it's written. And she talked about an experience. She worked for an organization. She left. And then due to some furloughs during the pandemic, she ended up going back. So she was furloughed from her. So she had the first job, left that job for job two furloughed, left that job, went back to the first job. Same boss, same situation, basically same job. She and I were talking and she said, yes, my boss was doing exactly the same thing she did before that frustrated me to no end. And I said, okay. And she said, but this time, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, I felt more confident because I had more experience. Maybe it was just, I was sick of poorly treated environments. And I finally just had a rational conversation with her. And I said, when you do this, here's how I respond. I am okay with this, but I am not okay when you do it this way. And sure enough, her boss changes and stops doing what she doesn't like and does it the way she suggested now. And so when she and I were talking, she was like... (laughs) Could have said that three years ago and (laughs) wouldn't have had to have job two. Um, Life doesn't always work that way, but it's, it's a truth, right? Is that people can frustrate you and can grade on you because you have different temperaments or different values or different beliefs or different way of working, particularly if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs with the way you um, orient and prioritize your world. It's called judging or perceiving. And that's where you get that P or that J at the end of your four letter word. J's and P's can frustrate the heck out of each other. Like I am a, I'm a strong 30 P. Like I don't know that, that I can think about using an organized calendar to save my life. No. I don't have a to-do list. It's in my head. That's where it's at, right? And someone who's on the extreme other side of that spectrum would be frustrated if they had to work for me unless I was willing to adjust to meet them halfway, right? And so that piece of this becomes really important to think about is what that level is, where I was before deciding to pursue this new path, I would say I was on the extreme end where you're in that emotional abuse place. And here's the damage. The damage is 
you walk away and you still hear the words. And the longer you're in that situation, the longer it takes to stop hearing the words on replay in your head. And the problem with us as humans is that the words don't just go on replay randomly throughout the day. They don't go on replay until you do something that triggers it. So remember, I'm lazy, right? So the minute I forget my mom had a doctor's appointment that I was supposed to take her to. I'm like, see, I'm always procrastinating, forgetting everything, can't get anything done. That's when it pops up. It doesn't just pop up because you're laying in bed trying to go to sleep. It pops up when a situation sort of reaffirms the message that you've heard. And so now you have to continue to walk through it. Um, Maria and I, you and I, have talked a little bit about this thing in particular. So as everybody on this podcast knows, massive Brene Brown fan. I think she's flipping brilliant. And if the rest of the world listened to her, we would all learn to communicate better. I'm not saying communication problems wouldn't happen. I'm saying we would handle them effectively because we would have the tools to have a conversation. However, What she is most known for is research that she has done on the topic of shame. Um, And a lot of people will avoid it because shame is something that you avoid. But what I found coming out of that experience is that I was carrying shame. I was carrying shame because I made some choices that I was carrying the belief that they were bad choices or that they went against my values. I was carrying shame because I couldn't believe that I let someone talk to me that way. Um, And that not just once, that it happened for 18 months to two years. The minute I would tell a story of an encounter and I saw the reaction in someone else's face, it reinforced that shame. I told a story once, And somebody goes, no, she didn't. You let her talk to you that way. Now, all of a sudden, it just reinforced that I let her do this to me, right? And it reinforces that I'm not the victim, that I was a willing problem in this whole relationship. And so I had to do a lot of work to really, and I'm still doing it. Um, In fact, there's a brilliant, psychologist who is helping to review some of the advice in the book to make sure we're offering some sound solutions. And I use the phrase, I made some bad choices. And as most therapists do, she let me ramble for a little bit. She didn't have to ask a follow-up question. And during the process, I owned up to a couple of them. And I said, I saw her treat other people badly and I never stepped in. And that's one thing that I feel worse about out of all of them. There were other situations where I hid stuff that was happening in my department or I lied straight out about things that were happening in my department because I knew that she would not be aligned with the choices that I was making and it would result in heated, intense conversations that I didn't want to be a part of anymore. And so 
when I was talking to the therapist, I said, I did make bad choices. And she said, you made survival choices. And I said, yeah, they're completely unaligned with my values. And she said, did you survive? And I said, yes. And she said, you cannot hold. So even just as recently as a few months ago, someone had to remind me that using phrases like I made bad choices reiterates that I was part of the problem. And so it just keeps layering it in my mind. So Michelle, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the next three episodes to our viewers and, and put it all out there in the first episode, but what can the listeners anticipate from the next three episodes of this series? Like what are some, some things to prepare for and drop before we head into the next three episode recordings? Okay. So I would say some of my favorite chapters are probably the ones that we'll dig into a little bit. We won't dig into them completely, but absolutely share some stuff. One chapter that I like to call avoid. And the idea here is pretty simple. There are tons of articles in the world about recognizing a narcissist during the first date. That's what we want to dig into. We want to talk about how to recognize a toxic department, a toxic leader, a toxic company um, before you get on board. So that'll definitely come up. I want to really dissect the levels of toxicity and dig into what you can do as an individual to recognize what level of toxicity you're dealing with and what solutions may be available for you. And then Maria, this term is one that you and I came up with together. We were having a discussion once about several people that we know that have experienced extreme toxicity in the workforce. And you and I both go, oh my God, it's like they get an effing playbook because all of these people were doing the exact same things. And I was like, why do the bad guys get a playbook and the good guys don't? It's not fair. And so that is one of the other places that we'll dig into, which is how do we give the good guys a playbook? I love it. I even love that you mention a playbook. I'm hoping we'll talk not only about the the good guys for a playbook, but the people observing for a playbook. Good point. Yes, we will. (laughs) So yeah, so we're going to talk about all those aspects um, for everyone you know, listening in and tuning in our series, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you're in human resources, you're a leader observing this, you're a peer, I think what's really going to be critical component um, is for you to understand how other people are observing this and what's transpiring. And there are times you may not even know that that's what's going on in someone else's position. So how do you get some of those insights as well? And then how do you better yourself as a leader? How do you not become this situation? So Michelle, I'm hoping you um, can share with the you know our listeners some more of your story and really help bring us along in this journey as we continue talking about all of these aspects and what to anticipate. So I appreciate you taking the time to be very candid with our listeners, because I think it's important for people to know, because there's so many people going through this in different ways and levels, like you mentioned. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. And guys, I would say if you are 
a business or an individual that is going through this right now, and you're like, I love the teasers. It's a little bit of a, a confirmation that I'm not crazy or that I'm right to think that about my boss or this person in this department, but you don't know what to do next, reach out www.realtalent.com. That's the reason we have those programs in place is so that we can help you understand where you are and then help you with some solutions to resolve the problem. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to hear some other stories from some of our listeners um, for them to share, obviously, with us exclusively. So Michelle, thank you so much. Our listeners are super appreciative and stay tuned, everyone, for more on this series of toxic work cultures. Take care, everyone. Bye. 